You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I hope that we kind of go more towards the model of like, let's get these kids as much opportunity playing with each other and, and grow some really um, strong homegrown programs right in our, in our community um, so that all, all these kids have the opportunity and not just the kids that can travel to Massachusetts and play an organized hockey tournament. It just, but it makes you be more aware of your game and trying to stay on top of it, you know, to still be relevant 18 years later. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. You know, I'm very, I feel very lucky, and I, I don't take it for granted, you know. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you're listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 282, Pond Hockey and Portland Eating, airing for the first time on Sunday, February 12, 2017. There is great value in building things that give pleasure to others. For the past five years, Patrick Garrett has been the tournament director of the Maine Pond Hockey Classic, bringing players like South Portland firefighter Joshua Perry to Central Maine. Portland restaurateur and artist Jay Milani opened his first eatery, Local 188, 18 years ago, and now has three more. Maine is a happier place as a result of their efforts. Thank you for joining us. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Love Main Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at Aristel.com. Tickets for Maine Live, a day of insightful talks by the business and creative people shaping the future of our state, are on sale now. Join host Dr. Lisa Belisle and 14 mesmerizing speakers for a day that will inspire conversation and connection. This fourth Maine Live is on Thursday, March 30th at USM's Abramson Center. Go to mainliveevent.com for more information and to purchase your tickets. For many years, I've lived in the small town of Yarmouth, and we have a wonderful skating rink behind our bank on Main Street where people play pond hockey. And today we have two individuals who are quite committed to the idea of pond hockey here in the state of Maine. We have Patrick Garrett, who is a senior program director at the Alphonse Youth Center in Waterville and the tournament director of the Maine Pond Hockey Classic being held February 10th through 12th in Sydney. We also have Joshua Perry, who is a firefighter and paramedic for the South Portland Fire Department and the captain of two South Portland Fire Department teams at the tournament. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So this is a pretty great idea to do a pond hockey classic. Whose idea was it? Uh, kind of my idea. Uh, so when I started working at the Alpha News Center, I was I met the CEO and we were talking about different creative fundraising ideas that we could do and I just read an article in USA Hockey Magazine about pond hockey tournaments so the idea was fresh in my brain and I was like hey that sounds like something we could do in Maine and in this area and uh, 
so he kind of challenged me to put it together and you know five years later here we are so <laughs> I think it was a good idea it still seems like a good idea well what do you think Joshua you've been doing hockey for you said told me 30 years or something yeah last year was our um, first year playing in I've never played in a pond hockey tournament before um, I heard Pat on a local radio show promoting it sounded like a fun idea and last year was the first time for almost all of us playing in a pond hockey tournament and we had such a good time uh, we're back again and bringing more people this time now both of you have a history of playing hockey was it always on ponds or was it in regular rinks i mean for so for me i actually uh i picked up organized hockey very late so i my whole like childhood of hockey was pond hockey um so uh, I didn't start playing organized hockey until I was a sophomore in high school, actually. So, um, so for me, pond hockey was all I all I really knew, um, and I didn't even play a lot of that. It was not until like really get later into high school and college that I've enjoyed playing hockey on a high level. So I, I try to play hockey all the time now because I didn't get it younger when I was a kid. So, yeah, I played both organized hockey growing up and just skating around, and just that was what. I loved about it was it was uh, a lot of freedom just to go out and skate and it wasn't so structured or organized it was just kind of stress-free and you could practice different things be creative and just have fun with your friends and uh, I think that's one of the big draws about pond hockey and skating around is it's just uh, a good time with your friends you don't have that structure and pressure from practices and games and everything and you grew up in Millinocket. I did, yeah. So we had a lot of lakes and ponds that we could, uh, if the weather cooperated, we could at skate on. Or There was a big public skating rink in town. Our games were outside, so it was pretty interesting. It also, um, it seems like you're always kind of working with the elements. Sometimes it's a little colder, sometimes it's a little warmer. What happens when the ice on the pond isn't um, quite as good as you'd like it to be? Uh, well, that's pond hockey. I think a lot of people would say is, you know, we, every year we have people, you know, they say stuff about, you know, the ice isn't good. And it's like, well, it's, it's not a rink, you know. And so you kind of got to deal with what's thrown at you. And um, a, a lot of it for us as tor tournament organizers has been trial and error. We've learned a lot over the past five years about what you do and what you don't do. Like one year we were like, people were complaining about the ice, so we decided to flood, and that just made it worse because so, of the temperature. So it was like... We're not going to do that anymore if uh, temperature's not right for it, and um, so it's just kind of it's kind of knowing how to treat the elements, uh, you know, uh, and then just kind of working around whatever comes your way. So like last year we had extremely cold temperatures, uh, which was funny because it was super warm all winter, and people were even asking if we we're going to have enough ice to do a tournament. And then we had you know twenty negative twenty uh, with wind chill kind of factors uh, throughout the weekend, and then. Um, you know, previous years we had uh, we had a winter storm Nemo our first year of our tournament. Uh, so it's just it's always been kind of fun to you know see what's going to get thrown at us at the last minute. So uh, I don't look at the extended forecast because it, it either stresses me out or uh, misleads me into believing that it's going to be all perfect and hunky dory. So uh, we just don't look at it until like the week of and say whatever comes our way we'll handle it. And you've never had to actually postpone or cancel it. Uh, we actually did one year. Um, it was two years ago. Uh, we had uh, we had several storms that were back to back of heavy, heavy snow, and the ice was great. Um, but the the weight of the snow actually, when we plowed it all off, was breaking the ice. 
So, uh, and that was a pot issue that anywhere we would have gone. So that was kind of what we ran into. And we had people, you know, people that had already gotten plane tickets and hotels and it's not one of those things you can postpone necessarily. So, you know, we, what we did is we refunded everybody's money and said, you know, let's bring it back the next year and, and kind of pick it up from there. And that's when these guys got involved. So, uh, we learned a lot that, that year about what to do and what not to do. And, um, so we, ha- we've put kind of some stop caps in place to make sure that doesn't happen again. So, Joshua, you actually, um, you spent some time outside of the state. I have. What were you doing? Um, I was in the Air Force for eight years, and I lived in Montana for three years and uh, three years in Germany. So when you came back to Maine, did it feel like you had a renewed interest in doing things outdoors and really embracing the weather that we have? Um, Montana and Germany were pretty similar, and I packed my hockey gear wherever I went. So I got to play a bunch of hockey in Montana, and I played uh, a fair amount in Germany as well. Against um, Our base team played a bunch of local German teams, so that was pretty interesting. A different style of hockey. But... Yeah, after spending eight years away, I was pretty excited to come back home and um, be back here. So you have two teams that you're in charge of, and they're all firefighters? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, We had a couple people drop out, so we've reached out to a couple other people uh, from... One's a brother-in-law of one of our players, uh, one's from Lewiston Fire, um, one's my neighbor, so just had to fill up a couple spots where people backed out at the last minute and uh, we wanted to make it work. And these are all people who have some background playing hockey? Um, almost. We had such a good time last year and guys at work are probably sick about hearing us talk about how much fun we've had. Uh, one guy bought gear this year and is going to learn how to play. <laughs> we don't really care. We're just in it to have a good time and to hang out with each other. We're a small department with three different stations and four shifts. So we don't always get to see some of the guys and this is a great way for us to hang out together and spend time with our other coworkers that we don't get to see as much. So it would be pretty fun. Yeah, it was really funny. After last year's tournament, uh, it was was either you or one of your players reached out to me and were like, listen, next year, could you have a division where it's just you show up and you play and there's no tournament or competition because we just want to come up and play and have a good time. And I was like, that sounds like a good, good idea. So we actually added a just for fun division this year and where there was no playoffs. It was just you get guaranteed like to play games both days, uh, which we actually didn't get enough teams signed up for that. But we had another outside team that was interested. So I think it has merit and I think it'll grow from there. But I thought it was interesting that these guys kind of came up with it. I was like, yeah, that's that's way easier for me to even to organize the, to just do it that way. So I was like, let's let's throw it in there, and see what happens. So how is it structured? How what are the divisions and how many people do you usually get? Um, so this year's our biggest tournament. We have 62 teams that are signed up. Uh, we have uh, four divisions that would we'll be playing this year. So we have a, we call it an Open A, which is our, our highest level of competition. The team that went last year are all uh, UNE alumni, hockey players. So that tells you about the level of competition that's there. Um, then our Open B is a lot of, like, I would say, upper level men's leagues teams or guys that are, you know, kind of getting back into it that maybe were at a high level before. We have a recreational C division, which is kind of like your... Uh, general everybody like we still want to be competitive but we know we're not a high level player and then um, we actually have a 40 and over division this year uh, 40 and over as well um, we had a women's division as well we didn't get enough teams so they're going to play in the women's team that we have is going to play in the open b division because they're all uh, ex-college hockey players and 
they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to take take on all the boys. So that'll be fun. And then um, the Just for Fun division, uh, which, again, we had to roll those teams in other divisions. So we always, if a team wants to play, we'll, we'll find an opportunity for them to play in one of the divisions. Uh, and we'll look to continue to expand. So next year we've talked about adding a 15 over division because a lot of the guys in the 40 and over are actually like 16 over. So like, can we can we bump up the ages a little bit so we don't have to skate against 41-year-olds? So how many people does this uh, entail between all the people on all the teams and then you have volunteers and you have people like yourself? What what are we talking about? Um, you know, probably throughout the course of the weekend, players, volunteers, spectators, probably looking at about a thousand people um, that'll be involved. So about 500-ish players and you know, we have a lot of different volunteers, and uh, it's it's funny that like uh, Snow Pond, which is also Meskalonsky Lake, is a is a very popular ice fishing uh, spot in in Central Maine, and we're really close to the Sydney Boat Landing, which is where people a lot of people access it. So uh, we get a lot we'll get a lot of um, extra foot traffic of ice fishermen just be like, hey, what's going on over there? Let me check it out. Uh, so we would encourage that too because it adds I think it adds something for the players to have you know spectators around checking it out and you know cheering on and, and I even know that like these guys last year they got knocked out of the tournament they went back out and were cheering on the team that knocked them out of the tournament um, just because they wanted to stay engaged and involved uh, which I thought was pretty cool. So it sounds like you really make a weekend of this. Yeah we try to I think that was the big draw for us with the just for fun division because we know we're not actually last year we did make it to the playoffs but with this year with that many more teams we know we're not we're done on Saturday and we just wanted to come out and have a good time and kind of make the weekend out of it and we were kind of sad that it didn't happen but we're going to stick around and play each other or play another team on Sunday just just for fun yeah yeah so what is it about hockey that has appealed to you and has caused you to bring your gear to Germany and to Montana and to keep doing this uh it's just such a a fun sport I mean growing up in Maine and as cold as the winters are and as much snow um you got to get outside and enjoy it or it's going to be a long time um i don't know what the draw of the sport was for me but it's just something that's captured a big part of me and i love doing it my son is he's gonna be five next month and we're out on the ponds this pond two blocks from our house and this is the first year he's really been interested in skating and you know i was to watch him take his first skates was almost as proud of a moment as watching him take his first steps uh, and getting him outside and wearing him out. So that's been and uh, the big draw for me. And does his mom also skate or yeah, play hockey? Yeah, she comes out. Uh, she doesn't play hockey, but she'll come out and skate around and uh, or encourage us to get out of the house and go skate so she can have some alone time. But yeah. So, Patrick, yours, you have a girl or a boy? I have a boy. You have a boy. And he's only nine months old. Yep. So you haven't probably done much with skating at this yeah, point. He, no, he's just learning how to crawl right now. So, uh, But he'll have skates next winter. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I mean, you know, again, I work in, you know, youth, uh, so youth development, I would say, and uh, so I'm never going to force his hand, but I'm going to provide opportunities for him to do the things, especially the things I really like to do. So uh, he'll probably have uh, skates pretty early on in life, and you know the other sports that I, I like, uh, he'll probably have the opportunities to do those. And but if he says I want to be a musician or I want to be an artist, and we'll support him in that too. So whatever he wants to do, we'll do. And but I hope he likes hockey. 
Well, I would think that after putting all this amount of time into the Pond Hockey Classic that obviously, you know, if he could come along and he could be part of this as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, uh, when you're talking about, like, like what is the allure of hockey, and I think for a lot of kids, um, it's, you know, you can, you can skate faster than you can run or, you know, so it's like the idea of, like, kids like to go fast. So I think getting kids on skates so they can go faster than they can normally is really kind of a thrilling, and it takes less energy so they can go further faster and uh, it's a great team sport too like there's not a lot of sports where you have to you know it's really hard to be an individual hockey player and take over the entire game uh, just because of the nature of the game but you know there are some other sports where it's a little easier so I like the team aspect of it. So originally your um, tournament was up in China Lake is that right? Yeah um, so we uh, we had a great spot in China Lake for the first couple of years there were some limitations but it was um, highly visible right off a of main road in China um, and uh, it was it's this place called the landing uh, so they had like a building right there a small parking lot and after the first two years we kind of quickly realized that we were going to outgrow this location so we started looking for other spots just because there was not a lot of parking um, right out there. There was plenty of, plenty of ice, but no parking and none of the other amenities. Um, so I started driving all around Central Maine looking at any spot that I thought might work. And I, it's, it's almost embarrassing that I didn't know that the New England Music Camp, which is where we are located out of, which is now the Snow Pond Center for the Arts, uh, was like the perfect location right in my home, like the town that I was living in. And I stumbled across it and I talked to the owner and it turns out that um, you know, his family's kind of a hockey family. They grew up in Connecticut as like Whalers fans, and they were like, oh, this would be great. Let's, uh, we're totally on board. So they've been very good about um, supporting the tournament. Uh, but it was kind of just funny. I was like, I wish I would have found this place the first year. Not that China wasn't great, but like they have everything. They have a lodge that overlooks the lake, like great drive on access right, right where they're at. Uh, and then, like, again, we're so close to the Sydney boat landing that it, it makes it great for like, trying to move stuff over to the tournament. And, and uh, and whatnot, because they plow that out for trucks to be able to put out um, ice shacks and whatnot. So uh, I honestly can't believe that we didn't find it sooner. <laughs> well, it's, there's a lot going on in central Maine that I'm not sure a lot of people know about. Um, you grew up obviously much further north in Millinocket. Did you know that all of this was going on in, in central Maine, Joshua? No, I, I think it just happened to be listening to the radio station about the the tournament and I just was looking for something fun to do with my coworkers and like let's give it a try and see if we can get a team together and luckily we were able to get one together so that was yeah that was all our first time playing in a pond hockey tournament so were you surprised by anything in the last couple in the last couple of years with regard to this pond hockey tournament um, I was surprised at how many how easy it was for us to get an actual team together. I thought it was going to be a little bit more challenging for us to get a team. Um, I think last year was your first year at Snow Pond. Yeah, it was the first year at and, Snow Pond, yeah. Um, and we knew that that was their first time being there. It was our first time playing in a tournament, so we didn't have any ideas of really what to expect. And the weather was crazy, and uh, cool. Pat and the volunteers put on such an awesome event. One, it being their first time at a new location, the weather, um, they did a fantastic job and we had so much fun. We were pretty impressed by that and surprised by that. So it made getting a second team a little bit easier. So when you're not on the ice, um, actually playing in the games, it sounds like you do a lot of supporting other teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe uh, doing some supporting yeah, other teams. Um, 
it was the polar dip that you could watch. Uh, my wife and son came up, and there was a sk- uh, skating rink on the side. There was a beer garden. Uh, that's where a lot of the teams hung out, especially around the fire, staying warm, and or just waiting in between games. Yep. So who was doing the polar dip? Um, so that's another fundraiser that we do for the Elfline Youth Center. We used to do it later in the year, but when we started doing this event, we just like, why don't we just do it together? It'd be kind of fun, you know, from, from both sides. And um, so uh, it's mostly local people from the central Maine area that come up and uh, they come out and do the, the polar bear dip. Um, you know, we have local businesses and local, we have, you know, local, uh, you know, kind of celebrities like politicians and, you know, selectmen that will jump to uh, and, and raise money for the Elfon Youth Center. Um, so it's, it's a, that's actually, it's like our 23rd year doing the polar bear dip, uh, I think. Could be 22nd. Don't quote me on that, but I know it's recorded. Uh, so uh, it's been going on for a while. We've, it's always been a fun kind of thing to, you know, uh, jump in really cold water. And it's it's got a neat, and it's really neat because you're like, really, like, we're cutting a hole in the ice to jump in. It's very shallow, so nobody, you know, nobody gets swept away. But um, and but it's it's kind of this neat little atmosphere, you know, that, you know, in the, in the past we've done it like at a, at a pool that we filled up in front of the Alpha New Center. I don't think that has the same allure of jumping in the middle of a lake in the middle of a pond hockey tournament. So so you attract teams really from all over, not just within the state of Maine. Yeah, that's actually, um, so we've, we've gotten teams, uh, this year we have teams from as far away as Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Long Island, or teams and players. Actually, I was talking to one captain the other day, they're, they're, uh, they have a brother that might be flying up from Florida to play in the tournament. Um, so definitely it's attracting people from away. I think a lot of, um, you know, you kind of hinted earlier, like be, if you're from Maine, like there's always something that kind of draws you back a little bit. So for some people that are out of state, this is their opportunity to come back and, and kind of experience like the winter, their, their childhood winter, um, as an adult. So, um, I think that's what this kind of provides for a few people. And then people just, you know, there are other people that have never played pond hockey before that they grew up, you know, in the Southern states and have only played rink hockey. So there's a, an allure to that as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of unique aspects to this that people don't necessarily get if they've never grown up in like New England or Northern, uh, United States and been able to skate on a pond. So. What are some of those aspects? I guess I'll ask either one of you. Maybe either one of you can answer. Uh, well, I would say that pond hockey is different in the sense that, like, the, the ice conditions, because um, the ice is always going to be a little imperfect. So, like, you know, um, it's kind of you never know what the puck's going to do. Um, so, you, I, I would say that it wor- really works on like good fundamentals as far as like hand-eye coordination um, and, and stick work. So um, it's much less of a skating game and it's more of a passing and um, stick handling game. If the, I don't know if that's your thoughts. Yeah, the, the rules are a bit different. Um, I think the ice conditions can kind of equalize the teams a bit too. Um, so you kind of in the back of your head like, oh, that corner over there is bad. I can't go as fast into that corner or you can't pass the there's no boards to pass the puck up. So it really emphasizes on on skills of passing and um, it takes away some of the other dynamics that you can do on a rink that you just can't do. Um, you got to just be really good at shooting <laughs> yeah. or um, and passing. Um, and just being outside is just a different aspect of it. It's a lot more fun than going to a, a rink. 
Is it structured? Is the game structured the, is with the same number of minutes? Uh, no, it's, it's shorter. So we do um, two 20 minute uh, halves of running time. Just to, and that's and you can do it differently. I mean, playing hockey when you grew up as a kid, it's like we'll play to eleven goals or play to however many goals or play till it gets dark and we'll say last goal and you know whoever scores wins. Uh, uh, so, f but for the structure of the tournament, we do two twenty-minute halves, um, and then you know the short halftime, uh, and that just keeps the, the flow moving. Um, we also uh, have a lot of uh, you know that. The one thing I th actually think that the fact that we don't have an official out on the on the ice too. So we have a scorekeeper who's kind of there as our eyes and ears, but that it's really self-regulated gameplay. So that's also kind of part of pond hockey is there's no ref, there's no you know. So it's kind of gentlemanly rules. Call and, your own penalties and yeah, and and uh, and nobody goes in the penalty box really uh, until there's an extreme violation. So um, uh, so a lot of it is. Um, just making sure that we're having a, this mutual respect and admiration that we're both out here playing and having fun. We all have to go to work on Monday, so let's not get anybody hurt. And uh, you know, let's have fun and play hockey. So, how often is this penalty box utilized, and what would be something so egregious as to land some from the pond hockey tournament in it? Uh, no, there's no penalty. It's just a turnover of the puck and who gets the puck. Like uh, you're not supposed to really play goalie or camp out in front of the goal or who the when the puck goes out of bounds who did it go off who did it last touch and uh, just you're not yeah. supposed to lift the puck you got to pretty much keep it on the ice or below the shins so it's just small things like that they it's kind of a gentleman's agreement or yeah and these guys were really so it all come like the these guys have always been very good about uh i would say they're very polite so we have some players that are, get a little intense and we all know who they are, um, and they—they're uh, the people that are at risk of not. I would say end up in the penalty box. So um, fighting will get you kicked out for the rest of the tournament. So we've had a couple, like the first year, we had a couple of people that um, wanted to take the game into the snowbank with each other, and uh, so they earned a ticket out of the tournament. Um, so I'm I'm pretty uh, staunch on no fighting. You know, we ha we we do try to make this a family friendly event, um, so we don't want people kind of doing that and there's other things too if like somebody does something new intentionally try to hurt somebody or injure somebody that's going to get them sent home too um so really it's like it's a very it's a very firm line that basically um physically trying to harm somebody will get you sent home right away so we talk a lot about um people leaving maine young younger people leaving maine um but you're both individuals who have come you left and you came back and you came back and now you have children and you're raising your children within the state of Maine. I, I know that, Josh, you, you talked a little bit about coming back, but mm -hmm. what, why did you decide to do that? Um, I always knew that I wanted to be on a city or a career firefighter and then when I left the Air Force I really wasn't um, sure where I was going to go and I kind of wanted to come back home. Um, I think I knew I was going to start a family and be here, the quality of life that Maine has. And um, I want, when you're away for a while, you just really get the perspective of what Maine has to offer and what you miss about it. And um, everything that I wanted as an adult and what I wanted in my future, Maine had to offer. And that's pretty much why I came back. Okay. And I th I'd say my story is pretty similar. Like, my wife and I, when we got married, when we decided we wanted to start raising a family, we both kind of knew that Maine was, 
where we grew up and we really, really liked what it provided for us as children and um, you know I, I was actually living in uh, central Massachusetts and and you know I hate traffic too and uh, so I always say when I when I spend 60 minutes in a car I want to go 60 miles not 16 miles uh, so I think one of the things that I really enjoy about Maine is being able to get a lot of places in a you know an hour you know especially from central Maine I can get to the coast I can get to the mountains I can get to you know Bangor or Portland so uh, there's something I really like about that uh, but in, and now that I have a nine month old I definitely uh, want him to be able to you know experience playing outdoors and not have to worry about um, you know some of the things that you have to worry about in a city um, or a more dense, densely populated area so we have a big yard and you know we wouldn't be able to have that in a lot of other places so uh, definitely enjoy those types of things. You have degrees in education from the University of Maine and you grew up in in the central Maine area. Does it strike you that um, we do a lot with organized sports with younger children so that there's a lot of rules, there's a lot of tournaments, there's a lot of games, there's a lot of structure. And that what you're talking about is here, you've gotten a little older and now you have to kind of self-correct. You have, there's a whole different set of rules or maybe that it's, it's not the same rules you're used to. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, we talked a little bit about like the um, the difference of playing pond hockey, and he mentioned not having the structure of an organized practice and how, and how that's good for like development of your skills. So it's like, um, you know, you're not gonna, as a youth on a hockey team, you're probably not going to try some things because you don't want to make a mistake and cause your team to lose. But in pond hockey, you can take all those risks and take all those chances, and, and there's no like negative repercussions. So you can learn a lot because we learn. We all know we learn more from our mistakes than our successes, right? So you make a mistake, okay, I won't do it that way again. Um, so I think that's one of the things that I really like about the style of, of gameplay of playing pond hockey and getting kids out. Um, and I think that's there's a, kind of this grassroots movement back to that. And you see like USA Hockey is doing more um, like cross ice three on three with younger age. So the kids are touching the puck more and having more opportunities to kind of try things and make mistakes. Um, so I think we I hope we continue to do that. Um, I get in debates all the time with people about the, you know, the. Um, pros and cons of like travel, youth travel activities, you know, they spend all the time on the road, so how much time are they getting to actually play games and is that the best return on your investment as far as like what you can actually do for your child during those six hours and playing one, uh, one hour game. Um, so it's like, I think it's the answer is different for everybody, but I think, you know, f you know I look at what's right for you know, like my kids and my community. I hope that we kind of go more towards the model of like, let's get these kids as much opportunity playing with each other and, and grow some really um, strong homegrown programs right in our in our community um, so that all, all these kids have for opportunity and not just the kids that can travel to Massachusetts and play an organized hockey tournament. So. Well, I appreciate both of you taking the time out of your very busy schedules to come in here and have a conversation with me today. I'm looking forward to actually going up and seeing it for myself. I encourage anybody else who's interested to go up and see it for themselves. This tournament is the Maine Pond Hockey Classic being held February 10th through 12th in Sydney, Maine. We've been speaking with Patrick Garrett, who is the Senior Program Director at the Alphon Youth Center in Waterville and the Tournament Director of the Pond Hockey Classic. And also with Joshua Perry, who is a firefighter and paramedic for the South Portland Fire Department and the captain of two South Portland Fire Department teams at the tournament. Well, good luck. I wish you both all the best. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank and you. Uh, can't wait to see you in a couple weeks. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by The Front Room, The Corner Room, The Grill Room, and Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room. Chef Harding Lee Smith's restaurants where atmosphere, great service, and palate-pleasing options are available to suit any culinary mood. 
For more information, go to theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love Main Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Nancy Simmons, Elizabeth Hoy, and many more. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormaine.com. Today it's my great pleasure to spend time with Jay Villani, who is the owner of Local 188 Sunnies and Salvage Barbecue and co-owner of the newly opened Bunker Brewing Company here in Portland, and also the father of a couple kids and the husband of a wonderful artist named Allison. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really fascinated by the fact that you started 18 years ago with Local 188. We did. And, and you've become like this little megalopolis. Oh. In all the best ways. Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, well, I've been very fortunate in this town. You know, we started as a, uh, a group of artists who just wanted to hang out with each other and have a place to show our artwork. And it, it kind of grew organically into what it is today. Now tell me why it's called Local 188. Uh, it, my, my wife and I had a little uh, gallery prior to opening 188 called the Pleasant Street Collective. So we were just sticking with workers' movements and themes. It really had nothing to do with like the farm-to-table movement or buy-local thing. It was just, it was like a union hall, you know. We just wanted to go with that theme, a, a, a place where people can gather and hang and be who they are, you know. And again, it just it, it just kind of snowballed into what we have today. So you originally um, came from Staten Island. I did. I did uh, via New Mexico. It's where I met my wife out in New Mexico, uh, I was traveling out west and landed in Santa Fe and met her, and then she got accepted to graduate school back in the city, so I followed her back east, and when she finished graduate school, we went camping up in Millinocket and drove through Portland on the way back to her parents with some lobsters and uh, said we would give it five years, and here we are, <laughs> 24 years later. <laughs> well, that's it. It's kind of impressive that you've managed not only to stay together for 24 years, but also have these two children who are 15 and 13, so they right are. in the teenage years. And then you have all of these businesses, So, and you're both artists. It's a lot of kind of energy moving around there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not, it, it, there's some friction sometimes with it, you know, but uh, again, it's, it's not all me, it's who I've been able to surround myself with you know I have a lot of great people that I work with who help make this come uh, make this a reality so uh, you know I can't take all the credit for it so how did you how did you get interested in food initially well you know uh, being an artist uh, in New York the only work I could really find was restaurant work I just had an aptitude for it you know I had a lot of good chefs who told me if I pulled my head out my ass I'd be good at it you know, and uh, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to be that guy. You know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, there wasn't really any Food Network or you know cooking shows. It was just bitter old guys with cigarettes hanging out of their mouths over a stock pot. You know, this is this is what you got to look forward to, kid. You know, it's like ah, no, no, no. But uh, I, I was just good at it. You know, I was the 
the kid who got fired on Wednesday and rehired back on Friday because I could handle volume. You know, it just started washing dishes. One day a salad guy didn't show up. You know, can you do this? It's like, I'll do it, chef. And then the grill guy didn't show up. I can do that, chef. You know, and that's how I progressed. And really, it, the impetus for opening my own restaurants was that I could make just as little money working for myself without someone berating me all day. You know, so I just got tired of working for pricks is, is basically what happened. You know, so, uh, and here we are today. I'm sure some of my employees would, you know, dub me that, but I, I, I don't think so. So it is an interesting industry that you work within because you're right. I think the glamour of food is somewhat recent. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, within the past you know ten years or so. It's really just boomed. You know, uh, from like a Hollywood perspective, it's crazy. But there's still, I mean, it's hard work. It's, it's hard. It's, it's long it's, hours. It's late at night, and it's, it's hard. Yeah. The uh, I think what the real return is is the feedback you get from people on a nightly basis. You know. For better or for worse, uh, you know their meal was great. It was just subpar. You know you deal with that on a daily basis. It's it, and it's also a long haul thing. It's a marathon. You know it's it's not a get rich quick scheme by any stretch of the imagination. You know with rising costs, you know margins are really low. You know and that's and that's that's why we have three of them. You know because it's hard to really make a go with just one. So you know, but I, I, we like the challenge. You know I really like designing rooms. You know, I've always approached our businesses as sculptures, you know, the energy, the kinetic motion, how they flow, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's what really turns me on about them. Well, if you are designing each of your businesses as a sculpture, then how would you describe each of them? Well, you know, uh, local is always going to be my favorite because it was the first one, you know, uh, Sonny's is a very kinetic you know it's you know the bar scene the food the type of food that they're doing there you know and salvage is just like a party you know it's just uh it's like a it's like a mobile like a calder mobile just constantly spinning and whirling and twirling and so much going on and you know it's 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 a lot of fun and then what about the one that you most recently opened? The brewery. The brewery, you know, is a, was a way for me to pay it forward. Actually, uh, Creston, my partner, the brewer, Creston Sorensen, he was uh, leading our bread program for a few years. You know, he was working out of Sunny's and supplying our restaurants with breads. And he was just a home brewer and kept bringing in beer. And the beer was great. And after a few pints one day, he asked me if I was interested in owning a brewery and seemed like a really good idea at the time <laughs> at the time but uh you know it was just again it's someone did that with me you know like my, my partner matt when i wanted to open up something i had someone there who you know gave me a little money gave me some faith and and we were off and running so it was kind of nice for me to do that with crescent it was a good way to pivot also you know uh you know restaurants are hard and breweries are hard too but it was just a nice transition from like you know, retail to production. It's, it, it's, and again, it's the, the kids who are brewing down there are awesome to be around. And it's just a really, uh, it's a fun experiment right now. My experience as a 
waitress was kind of a, was brief and um, <laughs> very instructive and um, also incredibly difficult. Yeah, I thought. It's, a, it's a hard gig. It was very, very difficult. But more of my experience lately has been actually going to restaurants. Right. And I think that what a lot of people believe is that the food is the thing. But what I and I think food is very important, but sure. what I seem what I, I think is most important for me is the feeling, is the the vibe, is sure. how how you're treated and what uh, the relationship is with the server and what the server's relationship is with everyone else. Yeah, there has to be connectivity. You know, that's very important to me, you know, that our front of the house and our back of the house are on the same page and that we don't take for granted that people are coming in our doors and spending their money, you know, and they're here for an experience and what we're trying to provide for them, you know, and I I, want to get that across to the customer. You know, that's very important to me that people leave happy, you know, and... You know, we get some feedback that they're not always happy, you know, but those that's the feedback you really got to focus on. You know, everyone can blow smoke up your ass. Oh, this is great. What a wonderful meal, blah, blah, blah. That, that, that's, that's awesome. You know, but the person who's upset, you know, you really got to pay attention to it. And how do you, you know, how do you correct that? You know, you're not going to please everybody every time. You know, some people do walk in the door and are just miserable. I mean, there's, your hands are tied, you know, but... You got, there's got to be a way to correct it, you know, and I'd rather have people leave happy or at least know that we tried to make them feel better about their experience than just throw your hands up and say, oh, well, you know, I, I, I couldn't help you. So that's that's never a good thing. Well, and it does, at least my experience is that a little goes a long way. If something goes really wrong and somebody just apologizes or does yeah, something so very small, like would you like to a dessert, have a dessert, exactly. Or, or a gift certificate, yeah. you know, or it's on me tonight, you know, try us again at a different time. It's, you know, a little effort, a little effort. It's, it's kind of the same philosophy with my kids. A little effort goes a long way, especially in math, Sonny. <laughs> That's the name of my son, by the way, so it's kind of trite that Sonny's his name, Sonny, and there you have it. Well, I was going to ask you about that next, so now that clarifies things for yeah, me. Yeah, that's where that came from. So where, how has it been trying to, if you have Local 188, which is 18, so I'm going to just call this your first child. Yeah. Then you have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, and then you have a few other children that are restaurants. Sure. How does, how does that all work? Well, I, I call them all my kids, you know, even the, the waiters, the cooks, everyone. They're my kids, you know, so uh, everyone vies for your time. And that's, you know, I've learned to listen over the, over the years. You know, when I first started, it, I was kind of clueless. So I was, uh, someone called me a screamer and a uh, control freak. You know, it had to be my way, my way, my way. But I, I, I quickly learned that I couldn't do it by myself, you know. And I think once I figured that out, we really started to blossom. You know, by empowering people and letting them do their thing and bring to the table and harness what they do best, you know. And I think that's been my greatest attribute as an employer, that I've been able to recognize what people do really well and harness that energy and put it in the context of a bigger picture, you know, and to help push and make things grow. So how do you make that transition from... We'll just call it in quotes the boss yeah. to the, the boss who listens. Because some people just want to say, listen, I own the business. We're all going to do it my way. And if you don't like it, just leave. Yeah, that just doesn't work that way. 
you know, or it, it doesn't work that way for me. You know, it's uh, it's a, uh, you know, I, I, I'd rather do it collectively as a group, you know, again, going back to the, the collective, you know, that th those principles are very important to me, you know, uh, listening and empowering people. It's kind of like Jedi mind tricks, you know, I, I could really, my, I can get out of you what I need with you thinking you gave it to me. And that's, that's important, you know, and, and making you feel good about it, though, at the same time. You know, that's, that's the other thing. People have to feel good about what they do and what they bring to the table. You know, if, if I have a general manager who brings something up and I don't pay attention to it, that doesn't do anyone any good. You know, you have to be able to listen and say, okay, implement it. If it wor doesn't work, you know, maybe we'll try it this way or... If it worked, great. You know, I would never have thought of doing it that way. Wonderful. You know, so it's all about making people feel good about themselves. It seems that the hospitality industry, perhaps more than some other industries, has a lot of people who are doing it for a very a diverse set of reasons. Yeah. So some people, it's it's good for the the mother's hours are good for their kids, and for some people, they want to spend time on their art. And sure. It's very nomadic. Yeah. So how how does that work as as the boss who ultimately has to create or work with somebody to create a schedule and get staffing done? How do you work with the sort of the ebb and flow of people's interests and needs? You just gotta understand, you know, what people do need, you know, and that's that's the important part of running a company. You know, it's you know how can I help you succeed? You know, it's not you know do it this way, blah, blah, blah. It's how can I help you, you know, and make us better, you know, and I think that approach has served us very well over the years. You know, as far as scheduling and things, you just got to be open to it, you know, and you find, you know, that you put the right people in the right position who are committed for the long term and you understand that these people are here for, you know, to do a certain job and to pursue other ambitions and that's okay I mean that's I mean that's basically why most people start waiting tables is because they have a fix they need to support you know whether it be art music or writing or comedy you know it's just that's that's just that's the name of the game well and it also um, I've noticed more and more people who are really their professional servers so they're people that take Especially in this area, I would say people who take great pride in being able to offer a really wonderful experience, sure. and they do it very intentionally. Well, that might change with the tax tip credit that is going away, you know, because people, you know, uh, you know, do it because the money's good, you know, that they could x amount of hours devoted to their job, and then x amount of other hours to vote to their passions. But you know, with that compression coming down and you know, that might not be the trend moving forward, unfortunately. You know, it's gone the days, soon will be gone the days of making 25, 30, 35 bucks an hour waiting tables. You know, everyone's going to be that flat rate and it's going to be really disruptive. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how we as a industry handle that here, you know, because things have been going so well for so long. You know, uh, moving forward, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a hard thing to tackle. So, how has this been tackled in other parts of the world? In, in I, I I don't know. I can't answer that question. You know, uh, 
I read studies about Seattle and how it's helped and how it hasn't helped. And in New York, same thing, you know, it's just, you know, until it really affects us at home, uh, you know, we're, we're girding ourselves for it. That's for sure. We talk openly with our staff about it, you know, and that changes are coming and we need to be aware of it. And, you know, uh, it's prices around town are going to increase and it's going to it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I was pro the minimum wage increase. I think it's very important. People make a decent living. You know, I think the when it came to the tax tip credit, they were, you know, really trying to fix a problem that didn't exist, you know, and I understand the argument that the little towns up north that don't have the population to really make a server get, you know, a decent living off tips, but you could always pay them more, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't have to address the the whole, you know, it's just, it's... It's interesting, you know, scary and interesting at the same time. So what other scary and interesting things have you observed during your time as a business owner, maybe just during your time on this planet? Yeah, well, you know, I'm getting old. That's a scary thing. (laughs) You know, I I turned 50 last year and I'm looking back at my life and I'm very grateful. And, you know, the 35 years, if I have 35 years left, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be fired up. You I don't know, know if so that's wood you just knocked off, by well, the way. I think that, it's that, laminate that, or something. That's okay. That's all right. It'll, uh, it served its purpose. So, uh, you know, just the, the, you know, the, that, you know, just the getting old part, you know. You know, watching my kids grow has been wonderful and, you know, watching the people around me grow. And, but, you know, I'm ready to, uh, you know, I've been working in a restaurant since I was 15 years old, you know, and doing this. So 35 years is a, in like chef years, that's like 300, you know, it's a, a long haul so uh i'm uh you know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how do i step away from it you know what are my exit strategies and how do i put things in place to where it could still keep going with you know without me really there you know so those are the, those are the uncertainties that i'm facing right now so what are you coming up with uh fishing i'd like to go fishing i like to have a turquoise blue water and a fishing boat and that's pretty much the uh my my uh exit plan at the moment how uh, how am i gonna get there i don't know but I'll, I'll figure it out yeah i'm not sure how much turquoise blue water we have yeah no in it's Maine. no no it's I'm, I'm i'm caribbean bound that that's that's where my uh that's where I, where i'm gonna be but you do have a love of the greenville area i do it's uh you know uh my kids and i we've all gone up there with uh, some other families we've been going up there up there for years camping and fishing and taking advantage up there it's very gorgeous up there it's beautiful you know it's it's quiet it's green water it's pretty cool so when you're up there and it's quiet and there's not as much going on do you ever crave the excitement of your business no <laughs> no there's usually a campfire involved with a copious amounts of wine and other adults who have other kids and we're sticking them in tents and ah, get away from us <laughs> you know so uh it's it's always a hoot when we go up there so it's it's i shouldn't say it's that quiet but it's it's peaceful on a different level so it sounds like you still have that that social connection even oh, yeah. when you're up there oh yeah everyone needs that i need it you know it's what keeps me going 
people. Well, you and I were talking before we came on the air about sort of things happening for a reason, that people's yes. paths cross, and you don't really know where things are going to go sometimes, but you have to just kind of acknowledge that it's not the end. Yeah, you know, uh, it's things happen for reasons, you know, and everyone I've met and been associated with, uh, I'm a firm believer in that the, you know, the reasons that brought us together, though they might not be clear now, will eventually come, you know, uh, will be made aware of it. You know, I've had a lot of people who've come and go over the years and a lot of people who have been in management and, you know, that even for however brief it is, you know, the reason, you know, you're, the, you know, there's, there was a young woman who used to work for us and who shall remain nameless and, uh, you know, she was just very, not abrasive, but her management style was very cold and, you know, just forceful. And I sat her down and said, listen, you know, it's, you're a very strong woman and I, I kin you to like a piece of rebar and I'm the grinder that needs to take those burrs off it, you know, and for, for better or for worse, for however long we're together for, you know, that's my goal with you. And she no longer works with us, but I have a very good relationship with her now outside of that. And I think it was because of that, that conversation, you know, it's, it's important to be nice to people, you know, or at least compassionate and understanding of what others need. You know, you're not going to get anyone to work for you if you don't understand what they need, you know, or do what you need them to do without, you know, being supportive. So it's very important. And feedback is also important. Oh, yeah. It, it seems like yeah. sometimes we're in other work settings, we don't necessarily get any sort of feedback unless it's like a structured 90-day yeah, review. No, good, good, bad, or indifferent. It's very important. Communication's key. You know, we get together every week and... We discuss what's going on, and sometimes it's pedantic, sometimes it's really productive, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's heated, you know, but we always get together and we discuss, 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 so it's very key. When I was having a conversation recently with uh, another couple that own a restaurant, they were talking about the restaurant space as being kind of a, an interesting other space. So you have your home space, you have your workspace, but then you also have this other space that you go into, whether where you have, you know, you have a meal, you have a communal experience. You sure. have, and I'm wondering if that's the type of that's the type of sculpture that you've been trying to create all these years. You know, the greatest feedback or the best feedback I ever got f about local was uh, from a, a couple who used to drive up from Connecticut just to eat with us, and they felt like they were in their living room, you know. So I guess that's, you know, I wanted to create rooms where people wanted to be, you know, or a room that I wanted to be in, you know. So that's very important to me, you know, uh, that type of environment, you know, you know, tapas bars and the impetus for local was like a tapas bar and tapas bars are supposed to be very lively, loud, you know, energetic, interactive. You know, that's very important to me that people are able to interact, whether it be with a server, whether it be with food, whether it be the people sitting at their table, you know, whether it be they're sitting at the counter, looking at the kitchen, you know, interacting with the cooks and talking to them while they're working, that that, that social aspect of it is very important to me. You know, and I think we accomplished that at all three of our restaurants, you know. Definitely at Sunny's, you know, with just the kinetic and the vibe with the bar and the, the open kitchen concepts. 
local is same. The barbecue is just a big, giant, open, you know, it's like a hoedown in there most nights, you know, and that's, that's I think it's great, you know, and the, the downside to big rooms is when there's nobody in them and they're empty and it's like, <laughs> oh boy, you know, what's going on here? But, you know, fortunately, that hasn't been the case. Have you benefited from Portland becoming more of a food hotspot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, it has its pluses and minuses. You know, 18 years ago, there weren't that many of us. So, you know, gone are the, are the 200, 250 cover nights, night in and night out, you know. And there's, it just, but it makes you be more aware of your game and trying to stay on top of it, you know, to still be relevant 18 years later. I'm I'm very fortunate, you know. I'm very I feel very lucky, and I and I don't take it for granted, you know. So, uh, but yeah, you know, it's 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 pretty cool, you know, that we're known for, you know, being a food city. It's it's pretty awesome. And there also seem to be, at least my experience, I live in the suburbs, and there's a lot of traffic back and forth. So there seems oh, sure. to be more people who come and stay over the winter. It doesn't seem to be that it shuts down so acutely as it once did. Yeah, I, I, you know, another thing uh, where local has benefited, we were, when we opened up in Longfellow Square, it wasn't really a, a destination neighborhood, you know, so I was very dependent on local people. So I never really felt the pinch in the wintertime that more touristy neighborhoods felt but I think that has kind of waned over the years with all the you know there's so many new hotels that have opened up and more people come in you know year-round to enjoy what's going on you know it's not just I mean we do have a season but it's not as dire as it once was like you know January 1st you know it's like a ghost town but you know, we've managed to keep the doors open so well I appreciate your um all of the effort that you've put into the restaurants. I haven't, oh, thanks. I haven't met your children. I'm sure they're wonderful. I'm sure your wife is wonderful, oh. but I know that your restaurants are wonderful, and I spent a fair amount of time in them. So um, I encourage anyone who hasn't been there to go down. I don't know why, if you live anywhere in this area or even visit. I don't know why well, you wouldn't know about one of these restaurants. Well, it's too kind. Thank you very much. Well, it's delicious food, really wonderful people. Um, obviously, you work with Spencer Albee as our audio producer, and he's a musician, and he also the has man. worked with you for, I guess, 10 years off and on. For, and so I'm guessing, knowing that how much I like Spencer, there must be some something really great, some great he's, energy. He's a good kid. Yeah. I've been speaking with Jay Volani, who is the owner of Local 188 Sunnies and Salvage Barbecue and co-owner of the newly opened Bunker Brewing Company, and also um, father of two and husband to Allison. Thanks so much for coming in today. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. appreciate it. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 282, Pond Hockey and Portland Eating. Our guests have included Patrick Garrett, Joshua Perry, and Jay Villani. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Pond Hockey and Portland Eating Show. 
Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.